Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. Welcome to another episode of Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi. Today, I'm talking to a very good friend, one of the most chaotic members of our MBA class, <laughs> Warwick Gill, CEO of Free Thinking. Warwick, how are you? I'm well, thanks to you, Didi. You know, we've known each other since 25 when we were doing our MBA gifts, but I don't think we've ever spoken about your siblings, you know. I mean, your family, uh, you know, what were your interests growing up? I mean, you met one of my siblings uh, in the MBA. Uh, yeah. So I was fortunate enough to, to, to do my MBA with my brother, Graham. Um, but I'm actually the youngest of five. So um, I've got three sisters who are older than the two of us. Um, we're, we're a close-knit family. So I think, um, you know, not, not so much from an extended family perspective, but direct family, we're very close. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother's now actually in China. I've got a sister in, uh, in Texas, um, one in Cape Town and another one in Joburg. Um, and my dad lives down in the, in the Eastern Cape, which is where I normally go on holiday. Uh, grew up in Benoni, so you know, the, um, a very supportive family environment. Um, parents were married until my mom passed, um, but a very real upbringing as well. So I think um, I, I was very fortunate with the amount of support that I had from a family perspective, the focus on things like education and the balance. My mom was a maths teacher, my dad, um, a philosophy major who ended up um, running the mind safety division of the Chamber of Mines uh, before he retired. So a nice um, balance between philosophy, uh, literature, and, uh, and maths and science. I tended more towards the, the maths and science, um, but with, a, with a, I guess, a very good dose of reality. So we went to um, a, a soft family, you know, the kind of family that if you cut yourself, it would be, you know, stop messing blood on the floor, go to the bathroom. Um, and, you know, very real in terms of, of expectation and, I guess, quite a bit of tough love as well as the, you know, the, the more gentle side. So it's a very fortunate upbringing. Um, and you know, it's, yeah, typical middle-class, uh, white South African, I would I would venture yeah. to put it down as. That explains your tech and maths and science brain. Now you make sense to me, Warwick. Thank you. Well, to put it in context, I, I remember when I was about four or five driving in the car with mom and she would be firing off times tables at us that we had to respond to. Um, so, you know, yeah. music in the car. Um, we, we had maths problems thrown at us. So, <laughs> at a very early age, we'd be maths and science. <laughs> The things that our parents do. Uh, but uh, So now you're the CEO of Free Thinking, uh, which is one of South Africa's leading strategic partners for financial services. Uh, you call yourselves agents of change. What do you actually do? Um, so we've shifted slightly. I think our, our primary industry is still financial services, um, but we're actively trying to diversify um, into, into health, into te- uh, telecoms, um, and education, I think, primarily, um, and obviously diversify internationally as well. But um, to answer your question of what we do, we're a design-led consultancy. So um, I think many consultancies uh, adopt a, a, a process-led or a, um, or, or a formulaic-type approach to, uh, to business development and solving business problems. Um, our approach is, is, is based in design um, and the types of techniques that come around design. So everything from um, from research through to user experience design, um, user-centered type approaches, 
service design, those types of components. Um, and what we really do for, for businesses is we, we find the correct opportunities and problems um, to solve, and then we help them solve them in the right way. So um, to be quite practical, um, you know, the, the types of problems you want to be solving are where it's desirable from a customer, customer perspective, feasible from an implementation perspective, and adds value to the business. And we try and work in that sweet spot. Um, and then using uh, you know techniques like um, Google Venture type design sprints or design thinking or various other methods um, to iterate quickly to find the right kinds of solutions to those, drive value rapidly, um, and then help the businesses transform into a more agile way of working to keep that value coming. So um, we yeah. our, our list of services really do cover everything from business design through to operationalization um, and everything in between. Yeah, I know you were trying to help me to set up my online education platform. Work in progress. One day we'll get there. <laughs> I've, I've got a far leaner method of doing that, by the way. So we do need to talk again. Oh, perfect. <laughs> do you believe you have a purpose in this life? What is it? I find that question incredibly difficult um, because saying, yes, I have a purpose almost sounds a little bit arrogant <laughs> to, to me. But but I, I, I sense that I do. Um, you know, if, I, if I'm quite honest, there have been a few periods in my life where uh, medically I probably shouldn't have survived. And there's something in me that says that, um, you know, there must be a reason why I did. And, and if I were to try and articulate that, I think um, for me, it's actually, it's, it's got very much to do with, with how to live um, and how to be your best self and to try and impart that onto others. So I think um, I've spent some of my spare time growing up, not, not quite enough recently, um, trying to work with, with various um, foundations in the country um, but, but more from the perspective of, of helping people see the reality of where they're at, what they have and what they can do and to work and be their best within that. Um, and I think yeah. that's really what I probably have to impart more broadly um, is, is just how to make the best out of your situation and, and, and to own that um, and you know, to, to, to really be your best self. So I think that, that's probably my broader purpose and to try and, try and help people get out of the ruts that they're in. Um, it's not something that I find I dedicate enough time to, um, and it is something I want to try and reintroduce into, into the way that I operate. I, I think after my yeah. last attempt with one of the foundations that I won't mention, um, I kind of gave up a little bit. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think it's, it is probably time to re-energize and get back into that. Yeah. But, I mean, you're a role model just the way you live your life. I mean, the, you do mountain climbing, you do cycling. I mean, you do things that... I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just incredible. But we'll talk about it um, more just now. Okay. You and I tend to have these heart-to-heart -heart talks about race and mainly focus on how we can be better individuals and leaders in the world in which race can impact opportunities and the quality of our lives. Yes. How do you interact with the concept of race and what opportunities do you think you have been blessed to get because of your race? Yeah, so another complicated question. Um, you know, for, for me, race is a, it is, is a label and I, and I struggle with the concept of labels. I think, um, you know, when we talk about disability um, and I also struggle with concepts of being disabled or differently abled or anything else that people try and create to to box um, people and expectation, um, but I think it's 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 clearly very very relevant as a um, you know from a historical perspective and from the way that it has been used um, not only in this country but particularly in this country. 
Um, and I see it as one of the many ways that we that that we label people um, and it, you know that that creates bias or informs our conscious and our unconscious bias. Um, and I think it it can be limiting in in allowing people to to reach their full potential. And I think it limits the diversity that people can bring into an organization. So I think it's a uh, um, I think there are many things that we that we use um, unintentionally or intentionally um, to to justify our bias or to or to to hang our bias on. And I think race is the primary component within that. Um, the way that I try and interact with it, I think, is to is to get to the the core of understanding the the bias that it has created in us. I think one of the sessions that you hosted at Gibbs um, many many years ago now, uh, we, you had a speaker there who spoke about you know, recovering racists versus racists versus people who are not racist um, yeah. and that recognition that, you know, just based on, on history, um, I'm a recovering racist and, and likely will be um, for, the, for the remainder of my life and to be crucially aware of that and what that bias informs in my thinking. Um, and, you know, at the, at the same time, to be actively challenging that and having the conversations that allow me to challenge it and allow me to understand it better. Um, and, you know, I think that for me is really I'll try and engage with it is, is to get people independent of race to have those conversations about their bias, um, about where it comes from, um, so that we can continually challenge it and and be better um, and allow people to reach their full potential and to embrace the different thinking and the different um, value and benefit that comes out of that thinking into our personal lives and into business. Yeah. Um, do you label yourself as disabled or differently abled. Uh, I mean, last year you invited us to engage with you on diversity uh, because as the CEO of Free Thinking, you're very passionate about ensuring that you create an inclusive environment. Yes. Um, and then you spoke a little bit about your experiences as a disabled or differently abled person. I was shocked at myself because I realized that I've never seen you as disabled or differently abled uh, and that, and so I've never really considered what the challenges you live. I've, I really had never until you mentioned it. You're an active uh, cyclist. You're, you do mountain climbing. You're highly intelligent. You're hilarious. Um, what wisdom can you share on how you, how we can see and live diversity, so that we can create an inclusive, emotional, and it, and physical space for everyone? And do you think that is feasible? The short answer to that is yes, I think it is feasible, but I think it takes change from everyone. And that speaks a little bit to my personal purpose, is that I, I don't see myself as disabled or differently abled. Um, I have had organizations um, who've tried to classify me as that from a reporting perspective. Um, and I do get invited into diversity forums to represent the voice of um, disabled and differently abled people. Um, and I personally struggle with that because, um, you know, for me, physical capability is just a capability, much um, like emotional intelligence or, or IQ or any of the other types of abilities that are out there. And I, and I struggle with the fact that it's often seen as separate. Um, and, you know, for, for me, my, my kind of contribution into diversity forums has normally been as short as an escalator ride where, you know, my commentary has been, make sure that we can get to our desks, make sure that we can get to the bathrooms, that we can have access to water, tea, coffee, and that we can get out in an emergency. And other than that, expect us to do our job and to do it as well as, as any other person and to get there based on merit. 
And I think that's where the the the, the dual-sided component of it comes in for me is that um, in my challenges in dealing with with some of the organisations around disability where I've where I've attempted to get involved, is that I, I get the sense that that people want special treatment and they want um, you know the the ability to to hold the you know the position of CEO but to not go to work if their knee is sore, um, and you can't have both. Um, you know, there's a there's an expectation of the role in the position, and it's very self-limiting to want compensation um, to you know to, or to expect that you're going to be treated differently um, and somehow hold the, the the same position. I mean, if you if you can't do the job because of your physical capability, it's not uh, you know it's it's like me. I would have loved to be a game ranger as a simple example. I physically can't be one. Um, now I can moan at the game ranging industry for not accommodating me. Um, but the reality is that I'm just physically not capable in the same way as somebody could be, you know, mentally not capable of taking on other jobs or, or emotionally not intelligent enough for certain jobs. And, you know, to be real about that and to then work with, with what we have and what we, what we can do, I think is the responsibility of the disabled community. Um, and that, that for me is the, the balance that we need to get right in organizations is that, and you'll see it as a theme in the conversation, that, that accountability and ownership of, you know, what's reasonable and what accommodations should be in place and can you do the job and then, you know, living up to our full potential. So it's it's not about organisations adapting. I think there's basic human needs that organisations need to make sure they can take care of. And then there's that real conversation between the, the person and the organisation as to what's what's possible, what's feasible um, and, and how best to achieve that uh, for the benefit of both. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I think the conversation is often skewed towards the accommodation side, um, whereas, you know, there, there are real practical considerations that need to be in place. Um, and, you know, it's recognising that. It's an interesting area, I must say. Uh, we use those terms so loosely, but, um, and I think it's the same thing as race. Uh, you know, like a white person will tread very um, softly. <laughs> and I think we're also treading very softly when it comes to, differently abled or disabled, whatever. Um, so I, it's a conversation uh, that I think for myself I'd like to engage more on. Now the question that I'm interested in, is there unfair discrimination amongst the differently abled communities? Uh-huh. Is there a perceived hierarchy? Do you have ideas on how to create an equitable culture in these communities so that they can interface more powerfully in advancing their interests as disabled or differently able people in the world. So, so that's that's a very complicated question, <laughs> as I as I think you recognise in asking it. Um, and I think I'm going to answer it in in in, in two ways. I'm going to answer it one from a from a very personal perspective um, of of how I've experienced it um, and very real. And then, and I think secondly, I think from a from a broader perspective. Um, that that goes beyond disability, and I think goes into um, into privilege um, and and the impact that that can have. So I think um, you know to, to answer it from a from a personal perspective, um, you know there's a I wouldn't say that there's a hierarchy, but there's a classifiable versus non-classifiable um, that I've experienced quite personally from a, um, a the, the the perspective of trying to uh, trying to prepare for the Olympics. I, I had a, I had intent in around 2012 to actually um, try out for the Paralympic team. 
um, and from uh, cycling um, and to hit the kind of you know 40 to 80k range in the in the cycle races and compete internationally. Um, I was unable to um, validly. I want to be quite clear on that because my disability doesn't fall into into a decent category. So you know if you're missing a leg or you can't use your legs, um, that's classifiable. Um, you know for me because. I've got, um, you know, arthritis and impacts on lots of joints across the body. Um, you know, they, they they tried to sort of classify me either with somebody who would need to be on a tandem, um, which is unfair on me because I can't even use full length cranks as an example. So there's no ways I can put out the same power as a person who just has, um, who's, who's blind as an example, um, who would normally be on a tandem so, because my legs are impacted. But it's also unfair for me to compete um, from the opposite perspective of a hand cyclist, because um, I can still utilize my legs. So, you know, there's no category that my type of disability falls into. And as a result, you end up not being able to to, to compete on, on certain stages. Um, strangely enough, I find that entirely fair um, because any of the categories and the categories are necessary to allow, allow fair competition. And I've either got an advantage or a disadvantage in any of them in which I can be classified. So. I have to accept the reality that I can't compete at an international stage and find other things to do. And I think that's where the where the realism part comes in for me. So I think I think it is, you know, there's a there's a lot of focus on uh, from a business perspective, from a, a, a sports perspective, on the traditional types of disabilities. I think the more um, blended disabilities and the less visible disabilities um, are are discriminated against unintentionally. And I think it's it's largely because people don't know how to deal with it. Um, and I think when you start getting into into mental conditions, I think it's a hell of a lot worse. I think that mental has a stigma attached to it. I think we lose a lot of value that those people can bring into organisations and can bring into society. Um, and I think we force a lot of the conversation of that to be even more underground than with physical disability. Um, and, I, and I think that the, the world needs to start understanding that as much as we attempt to on the physical side, and you know, and, and work out how how best to to leverage people for their for their call and for their strengths. Yeah. That that is uh, something I think we all should mull over. It's a complicated one, Warwick. I really was not aware how complicated it is. Yeah. What do you think your unique value proposition is? Um, if you were not here tomorrow, which I hope you will be around for a long time, but what do you think we'll miss about you? So, so I think um, I spent a lot of time on this question um, because I'm I'm trying to. To, to find a way of articulating my value proposition for myself. Um, but I, for, for me, I think my, my unique value proposition is my, my breadth of thinking and, and the context that I'm able to take. So um, I see myself as a, as a systems thinker, as a business strategist, um, and my engineering background, I think, as well, helps me with, with just contextualizing things in, in ecosystems and in, um, in cause and effect uh, type, type of thinking. Um, and through that, I hope that I can get to to solving the real core problems that that sit below the items, rather than just looking at symptoms. Um, my sense in 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 my twenty odd years of experience is that that's a relatively rare and unique skill. Um, I have I have met some of my some of my mentors as an example have been brilliant um, at that, but I do find that it's quite unique in the business world. Um, and I think that you know that that will be missed. But I think even more than that, if I if I were not here tomorrow. Um, the and and, I, and this is from feedback that I've received throughout my career. Just my my ability to to center people, to create 
uh, context to put things back in real context. Um, you know, one of one of our lecturers at Gibbs, um, his name escapes me um, at the moment, but he it was a personal leadership style of lecture where you know he started with just really contextualizing how relatively insignificant we are. I mean, I remember very clearly of um, you know the zooming in on a on a piece of a fly's eye and then slowly zooming out until you get the context of the universe. And yeah. just recognizing that, you know, my, my decision that I'm making about free thinking today is not life and death. It isn't um, going to impact climate change. It's not going to impact education in South Africa, um, let alone the, the, you know, what's going on in the universe. And, you know, I think the, that, that ability to just bring people down to the reality of, of the importance of the decision that they're taking and the context that it's within and to center them and calm them um, and, just allow us to plan through the process. I mean, the last year has been a crisis year um, and that, that level-headedness and context in crisis, I think people will miss. Um, and yeah. then I think on a personal level, uh, you know, my, my, hopefully my humour, my... Uh, Your you know, dry, my... dry sense of humour. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> hopefully that helps us have harder conversations periodically. But yes, I think my humour will be missed as well. <laughs> and, and my dogs will miss me feeding them. But yeah, other than that... <laughs> <laughs> I recognise. I don't have that much boy. And your to wine me. collection. <laughs> yeah, my ability to bring good wine to parties, but uh, <laughs> yeah. What is your Achilles' heel, and how do you prevent it from adversely impacting other aspects of your life that make you successful? So um, I think, like many people, I think my one of my key strengths is also my Achilles' heel, um, and you know, for me, that is my independence, um, and you know, I've. I've fought, you know, a little bit of my story. I fought very hard to be able to be independent. Um, and I think I have a, an unreasonable fear of losing that. Um, and I think the, the, that, that becomes my Achilles heel um, in if, if I see something not being done the way I would want it to or not being done as well as it could, um, or in my perception, people are being too slow in picking something up. I tend to take over um, and I tend to, to do it myself. And um, so you know, one of my colleagues the other day joked that, um, you know, I might be taking on a little bit too much being the, the, the CEO of the organization, principal consultant, um, you know, IT support um, and, you know, various other things that I just pick up when they need to be done. Um, and, you know, I, I think it has a, a number of impacts. One, it, it overworks me and distracts me from working on, on, uh, on necessarily the key priorities. Um, and secondly, it disempowers unintentionally the people around me um, who, are very qualified, very capable, um, and may not just be working as fast or as or as directly as I would want them to. Um, and you know, I would love to say I've got it completely under control. Um, you know, as recently as two days ago, um, I found myself taking over something that I shouldn't be. Um, so it's a constant learning for me. It's a constant challenge. And I think that um, the way that I try and deal with it is to tell the people that work with me that it is a challenge that I have um, to help me identify it to help me point it out um, and to almost protect me from from doing it too often um, and and protect you from yourself to, yeah and and to just be honest with me and to call me and to and to tell me when they're seeing the kind of behavior so that I can pick it up and then I'm obviously trying to introspect as much as I can um, to be aware of it and 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 pick it up myself um, yeah to uh, to deal with it but it's yeah I think it, its biggest impact is probably it's, it's ability to disempower those around me yeah um, I mean it is a it's a it's a it's a challenge for all leaders uh, I mean there's a work that I do around operational versus strategic leadership 
And to be able to always balance those two, especially at the executive level, it's always a challenge for leaders, but it's something that can be done. You just need to trust your your direct reports and your employees. Um, yeah, it's work in progress, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. What are the top two trends in the world that you are seeing in how people live and spend their money that financial services must take into consideration if they need if they want to remain relevant? I think by my view on this is probably slightly non-traditional, um, but uh, yeah, it is it is my perspective. Um, and I think the first key one is um, a distinct move away from uh, from the concept of ownership. Um, so I think we've we've moved into a transaction and experience based economy. Um, the, the 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 traditional financial services are built very much on on asset ownership, um, on things like collateral. Uh, you, you know, you try and get credit without collateral, it's very difficult and very expensive. As a as a simple example, um, you take that into an insurance industry, um, primarily insurance insures assets, so houses, cars, um, you know, goods, and I think that that the the focus on ownership is is changing um, and people are you know simple things like ride sharing um, you know uber they 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 symptoms of that um, you know as you start bringing in things like uh, like like autonomous vehicles um, the the need to to own possessions is going to significantly reduce um, and I think we're moving far more towards or back towards community um, enabled through things like, like social media and I don't think that financial services have Really wrap their head around what the impact, what impact that's going to have on how they do business, um, and you know what what do insurers insure if it's not assets? Um, and when you start bulking uh, these types of components and start moving towards self-insurance, what what starts happening in the insurance industry? So I think for me that's the first big trend. Um, I do see some of the banks starting to deal with it in, in some of the societal banking type options that are coming out, um, and you know those those types of of, of of initiatives, but I, I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done there. And then I think the second thing, and this is broader than financial services, um, there's a, particularly in the last year, I think it's starting to take effect, is that people are really starting to care about societal impact. Um, so, you know, the the focus on on short-term profit, um, the focus on the short-term and, and, and not on, um, you know, the, the broader mid and long-term impact on what we do, um, I think for me is a is a very very interesting trend that um, all organisations need to be watching. Um, you know, I was reading reading something that was sent to me by by one of my my colleagues um, in, in the last week, um, just around you know as an example the the impact that Uber has had on traffic, where it's unintentionally increased traffic, um, where you know one of its original purposes was to try and find a more sustainable way of of, of having transport. Um, you know, I think those types of things are going to become important in organisations moving forward. Is the the when when profit starts overriding some of those initial intents and some of the broader societal impact, um, I think the consequence is going to be greater, and I certainly hope so. Um, you know, one of one of my personal driving factors is around uh, you know fairness and you know the free thinking purpose is good before profit. It's it, we I think that societal impact is, um, is is going to start having a big impact on the way that businesses operate and what's seen as being important. Mm, interesting. Before we close off, because you know me and I, me and you can chat forever. <laughs> and we do. Um, you know, you've had a lot of challenges. You never thought you would live this long. Yes. <laughs> what is that like? What does it do to your psyche? And what, 
what does it do to you appreciating living? So, I, I mean, one of one of the, the sort of prep questions that you that you provided to to prompt thinking, um, you know, was around vision, um, and you know the, I, I think what it does, um, and it was never intentional, but I think what it what it might have resulted in, let's put it that way, is that I'm not a vision driven person, um, because I I I'm not. I mean, there's no there's no inherent risk um, of you know particularly right now me having a have a having a shorter life than intended. I think a lot of that was in my youth, um, but I think having gone through that and the uncertainty of you know not knowing what I'm physically going to be capable of tomorrow. So you know I, I I do replace my parts when I need to, but you know at the moment I'm loving my cycling. I don't know when my right knee is going to give out, and I'm going to have to stop that and put in a new one. And um, I think it's shifted me from rather being being goal-driven and vision-driven into being principle-driven and, and hopefully a little bit more purpose-driven. Um, so I think, you know, for me, what, what's more important than, than vision is just living life according to, to the principles that you put in play, trying to, trying to balance that short-term with the medium-term and the long-term and still live with that long-term in mind, even though it's not guaranteed. And frankly, it's not guaranteed for anyone. Yeah. Um, but to, to leave that legacy of, you know, more the... How did I do things? What did I see as important? What did I change? Um, how did I enable people around me? Rather than, um, you know, he had a lofty vision, but, you know, didn't manage to get there for, for whatever reason. And with the uncertainty, you know, often those visions are fairly pointless anyway. It's, it's the principles and the values that help you navigate the landscape. And I think that for yeah. me is, uh, is, is probably one of the major shifts is that it's become far more important for me to get that right um, than it is to necessarily have a, a five-year vision or a 10-year vision for for myself or a company or any 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 other kind of environment. Hmm. Interesting. You're going to make me rethink because, you know, I do a lot of work in personal leadership and mm-hmm. vision is one way of rooting a lot of that work. As mm-hmm. much as I believe in values and principles, uh, I think are core. So you're going to make me rethink um, how I interface those elements. Um, but before we go... Um, can you just give us your last wisdom? If this is the last thing you share with the world, what what do you want, what do you want us to remember as human beings? No, no pressure. Uh-huh. <laughs> Not yeah. at all. Um, yeah, so so I think um, the another question that I find quite quite a difficult one to answer, but I but I you know for me it really is around be aware of your locus of control. Um, you know, I think some of the primary challenges I face in business is is just individuals who who are so buffeted by what goes on around them, um, rather than truly understanding or or just going through that continual journey of understanding themselves um, and understanding their response and the accountability of that response. Um, there's there's so much blame. There's so much lack of recognizing your own personal role. Um, your your own thinking, your own bias. Um, so to to really get that introspection, um, to to develop the accountability that often comes from that and that personal ownership of of consequence and and the acceptance of consequence. I mean, my, my entire life is a is a balance between choice and consequence. Um, you yeah. know, if I decide to cycle 150 k's, I need to understand I'm going to be sore for two weeks. Um, I can't then complain that I'm sore for two weeks, and that's a Simple example, um, but you know to develop that to to take that accountability and then to with that accountability is the understanding and the understanding of your environment, the understanding of what's around you, and then to only 
propagate what you know. Um, you know, the, the gossiping um, is another simple example of just something that is so inherently wrong in the world. And, and if I look at the business challenges, I would say 30%, 40% of the challenges that I had during COVID was, was just people propagating information that they'd heard from others, hadn't taken the time to confirm, um, and yet still thought it was worth, and they weren't experts in it. So they didn't trust yeah. the experts. They didn't take the time to understand themselves and still felt that they could continue propagating the information. And to yeah. just be aware of that and try and cut it down and to yeah. you know, be only, only propagate what you know is, is true. Choose to trust where you don't and you don't have the time and, and to just be quiet where you don't do either. <laughs> you know, it's a, this, yeah. to get that right on a personal level and to take that, that ownership forward, I think would be, would, would really be the wisdom that I would like to share. It's, it's nothing, nothing particularly big or, 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 or massive, but you know, for me. That is pretty, big. That is big worry. I believe in choices and consequences. I'm not, I'm not brag of it uh, um, so that you can go and check it out. My TEDx talk that I've just, um, it's just come out is about that, but also living with no fear, no regrets. So choices and consequences are so important. And can you understand why I'm having a conversation? Though I've known Warwick since 2005, every engagement I have with him is more enriching and I'm always a better place, a better person for for knowing him. Uh, Thank you again for joining us and do subscribe. We need to have 2021 as a year where we have a million followers. Help us get there. Until next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Durum Somi. Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.